This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I am joined by my, I need a new adjective to use, splendiferous co-host, Free Talker. Hello, hello. I like that one. Splendiferous, splendiferous. was in apples to apples last night when we were playing. So it was Ooh. like, but try explaining splendiferous to a seven-year-old who is like, <laughs> we're like, are they allowed to use made up words? But <laughs> It works. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just really, really splendid. But you guys bigger. play apples to apples too, right? I've only played it twice. Twice? Yeah. Do you use the one for young kids or do you use the regular version? The regular version. The regular version's funny with young kids. It is. Yeah. Yes. We play. Well, I mean, my kids weren't that young when I played it. It was just this year. Yeah. So, well, even, well, we played it with my 11 year old and <laughs> she was like, she was sure that she knew everything on the cards. And so yes. I was going through and testing her and I'm like, okay, here's uh George Bush. And she's like, son of the president guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was one Woody Allen and she's like from Toy Story. <laughs> oh my God. It was hilarious. I love it. it With such great. certainty too. Yeah. So we are on episode 10 now. We're on oh 10. Oh my goodness. We're 10. like legit. We are. <laughs> and if you have already subscribed to the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you have not subscribed, just hit that subscribe button right there and you will get every episode that we put out every Tuesday and Thursday. Yep. Like right there on your phone, ready to listen to. Let's read a review. Yes. Yes, which one are we going to pick today? We So I've picked one. It's from mom to eight and 11-year-olds. That is the username. Okay. So she says, so helpful. This podcast is fun and really helpful with raising kids in the current environment. They have to be more self-sufficient. We just can't do everything for them anymore. Take a listen. I totally agree. Yes. Yes. 
Love it. They have to be more self-sufficient because I think us moms and just parents in general, we're going a bit mad trying to do everything. Oh, yeah. There's not enough time in the day and nor are we ever meant to do all of this. No. And I think that really goes in nicely with our guest today. Yes, it does. I have to admit, I was a little bit starstruck. Yes. You were very excited. I was very excited, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I say a little bit, that's like an under undersell there. Like, yeah, I I changed clothes like six times for a Zoom. For For a a Zoom. For a Zoom. I was like. Wait a second. Why am I making such a big deal about this? She wrote a book. Her name is Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. And if you have not heard of her, you are going to know about her now. She is affectionately known as Dr. Z by her clients. She holds a doctorate of psychology and is a registered play therapist. How we know her is she's author of the book, Mommy Burnout, uh, which, oh my gosh, we're going to get into this book so much today. And what the book is, is it's a series series of kind of stories of moms that Dr. Z, she takes from her private practice. Of course, it's all anonymized, Mm -hmm. but it's very detailed about the types of situations that moms face and why they feel so alone. Right. And what I really loved was how the layout was of the book, just that it was very practical, very relatable. And there'd be a lot of questions like, does this sound like you? Does this sound like you? This may be an area that you may be burned out in. And here are some ideas of things that you can do. So there were several chapters that I was sitting there in the car. I swear, I looked like I was in a Sunday sermon just going, yes, yes, Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh. And even there were a couple of chapters there that it was 100%. I almost got brought to tears by hearing a story of a mom and a child that was going through something similar that I'm going through with one of my kids. Mm -hmm. And it's that sense where sometimes you feel so alone when you're struggling with an issue. Even though I have talked to other people about it, the chapter in that book just spoke, uh, spoke to me on such a level. Yeah. Amazing. Seeing it all laid out and knowing that, okay, this specific scenario relates so closely to your real life. I mean, for me, it helped me feel less alone in some of the things I was feeling. Right. Right. And you know what else I loved was her underlying tone throughout the entire book and through the podcast, as you'll see, where she's like, you know what? We don't have to accept mommy burnout. No, it's not. It's not something that we all have to be like, oh, okay. And you'll be interested to hear why she thinks mommy burnout is happening, but I'm going to leave that for the episode. So Mm -hmm. enjoy Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. And this episode is brought to you by the DOT student planning system. Now DOT stands for daily organized thinker. And I think of DOT kind of like a robot because planners are boring, especially for kids. True. True. (laughs) True. And when you think planning as a kid, you're like, why do I have to plan? That'll just take like 10 or 15 extra minutes. I don't have that. I could just start it. I can keep it all up in my head. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So what DOT does is it takes kids through the process of being very intentional with their time when it comes to schoolwork. So like those big science projects that kids leave to the last minute, DOT will help them think through the entire project, what they need to do and how they need to plan to make it happen. So they're not sitting at the kitchen table the night before it's due crying. Right. And it even has a section for big projects. So like you were just talking about, that works great for those big projects at school, like the science project. I always pick on that one because that's always a huge one in our house. Yeah. But I mean, even if you had another project for something that wasn't science, like let's say maybe your child does something competitive and they're 
practicing for a big competition and they have certain tasks that they have to do to get ready for it. They Mm -hmm. could even use the dot planner for that. My middle school woe story was a book of poems I had to do for my English class. And it was 10 different poems, like the acrostic, the haiku, the acros, like just the same queen. Now I'm like having like poem PTSD because it's all coming back to me. But (laughs) you're like, I have to calm down. I have to calm down. I have to calm down. All these poems I have to write, all these poems. But projects like that, where if you leave it to the last minute, you can't possibly put in your best effort. It helps plan it out and make sure that, hey, I have enough time to do this. I can do this calmly and it'll get done. Right. We have enough things on our plate. We have enough anxiety in the world. Mm -hmm. Why add time management to it? Exactly. So check out the DOT student planning system for your middle schooler. We have a link in the show notes where you can find out more. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. so excited yes. for this interview. We both good. burn out and we like have so much, so much we want to unpack with you. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Look at that good book collection you have behind you. Is that real? Is that a oh, real yeah, oh, yeah. It's real. It's all of my books. We're in my home uh, office. So we have, it's all alphabetized too. Fiction is all <laughs> alphabetized. And then the nonfiction is in the closet where you can't see right to the side. What? <laughs> Over here too. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh, we have a cartoon on the wall, me and my husband, because we really treasure books. And it's talking about like, what are you going to do with all these books? Like, what are you going to do when you have kids? And we're like, we're going to raise them to be bibliophibians. Yes. Love that. Yes. Love that. That's the same in our house. We have books everywhere and in their rooms and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. How How old are your kids right now? They are 12, 10 and 7. Okay. All right. I have a 12 and a 13 year old. And I just, yeah. I'm going to jump ahead and just be like, man, the last two chapters of Mommy Burnout, I'm like, that's so us. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And you live in Denver right now, right? Yes. But you didn't grow up in Denver. No, I'm from New York originally. And I came out here for my doctoral program, actually. And then I met my husband who had already, he grew up here and had already started a business at the time. And so I never dreamed I would live here. Like, I mean, I wanted to go to school here. I wanted to experience Colorado, but it's been almost 20 years now. Yeah. So you've been there a while. Yeah. Yeah, and a long time. Growing up in Harlem, I was reading all about you on your bio and you said you grew up in a blended family and that has really influenced your work today. Yeah, it has. How has that influenced it? So my mom immigrated here from Cuba when, here meaning New York, when she was 12 years old and got pregnant with me at 16. So she had only been in this country for four years. They all lived really in Washington Heights. She gave birth to me in Harlem because it was a total public free hospital that she says has since burned down. And so I really was raised between Washington Heights where she and I shared a one-bedroom apartment. Like We just slept in the same bed together for the first seven years of my life. And then I also spent, I feel like it was almost half my time in the South Bronx because that's where my biological father's family was. So even though he wasn't really in the picture, I wasn't raised with my father, 
his family was, interestingly. So I spent tons of time with them. And for the first seven years, she was a single parent and a, a teenage. I mean, she was a teenager. And what that meant, I mean, first of all, it was really interesting because I only knew Spanish. I only knew how to speak Spanish, right? Which in New York City is fine. And I was around tons and tons of family. That's all I was around. And I think she was a teenager. She would still go out a lot. So I was like left with family members and those kind of things. So, and then she gets remarried. She moves upstate for what I think she believes is a better life for us, right? Because we're on welfare, food stamps. You know, she's just trying to find, I don't even know, like little odd jobs, but she didn't really work that much. So we truly like, you know, I remember what at least like what food stamps looked like in the 1970s in New York City. And then we move upstate, which is only an hour north of New York City. But anybody who knows, once you cross that bridge, you're in the country. And all of a sudden, I'm in what I call the mountains, right? That Like it was the country slash the mountains. And we were in Orange County, which is really beautiful, but it was so foreign. Nobody spoke Spanish there. Nobody had brown or black skin there. It was such a huge transition. And then she marries a New York City police officer whose wife had walked out on him and left him with their four kids. So he was a single dad. She was a single mom. And all of a sudden, I became the youngest of five kids who were Irish Catholic, who looked nothing like me, did not eat the food that I ate, did not even speak the same language I spoke. Obviously, like if you really understand that rich background that I have, there's just nothing I can't relate to. I have been poor. I've been the only child. I've been the youngest child. Then in a second iteration of life, my mom gets married again. To, so they get divorced. She gets married again. So when she got married and there was the four kids, they had a child. So now I have a half-brother when I'm 12 years old. She gives birth at 30 to a half-brother. Then I become the oldest because all of the other ones were out of the house. And then she gets a divorce like a year later. So now I'm the oldest. Now I'm the big sister. So I've literally felt like an only child, the youngest child, the big, you know, the oldest. And so I really understand racism firsthand. I understand, oh man, I had the best experience. I also understand what it means to believe in somebody. So it did start with an aunt who was also my godmother who also had passed away when I was 13. That was a huge loss for me. But she always really believed in me. And she just told me like, you're going to do great things. Like, don't you ever worry. You're going to do great things. And that really, that she's like the only person who ever told me that ever. So that was amazing. That just makes me feel so good to hear you say that. Like just to oh have someone gosh. in your life like that. It's one person. All you mm-hmm. need is one person. one person. And that one person, it's not flippant. Like, oh, sure, you're going to do great. She would like look me in the eye and say, you have nothing to worry about. You are going to do great things. And you're going to be like a great human being. Don't worry. And for a kid who's impoverished as a teen mom is on welfare and food stamps and then gets transported to a whole nother world in which I was a total minority was a huge thing for me to carry with me. It would literally be like a mantra in my head. Like, but my aunt says that I'm going to do great things, but she says I'm going to do great. You know, so it was really great. And then the other piece that's really beautiful about this and does to me tie into like my why is when I look back now, not then at the time, but we lived in a very middle-class, very working-class kind of family. So when I, my upbringing, and there were certain families who just totally took me in. I ate dinner at their house. 
they treated me kind of like another daughter. And it was so amazing. One day, my very best friend growing up, we like, you know, we lost track, but we got back together. I don't even know. I think it was like 10 or 12 years ago. And we had lunch. And I said to her, I was really emotional. And I said, your parents were everything for me. The way they treated your mother looked at me one night when she was putting us both to bed and said, I said to her, I don't know how it came up, but I said to her, I don't like my skin color. And she said, oh, you have the most beautiful skin color. Just wait and see. One day, everybody will be envious of that beautiful olive tone. And again, no one had ever said that to me. So I got to tell her that. And so she got to go back and tell her mom. And like, so that I could pass on that appreciation that to believe in somebody, to have a sense of community, it really was a life changer for me. I can see so many tie-ins right now with what you write about in your book, Mommy Burnout, about that sense of needing the community Mm -hmm. to feel good and to go forward. So from your experience as a kid, then what got you interested in psychology and helping people that way? Yeah, I said from when I was about 12 or 13, I want to be a psychologist, which is super unusual. And I completely did it. And I went to my high school guidance counselor and was like, okay, I want to be a psychologist. So what do you need to do? And again, at the time they were like, well, you're going to need to go to school for like 10 years. I was like, okay. It was just very matter of fact for me. Like you tell me what to do and I'm just going to do it. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And I think that stemmed from feeling just, you know, simple. Like as a teenager that people talk to me 
and that they told me their problems. And I don't think I probably had much judgment, right? Who am I to judge? I was probably easy to talk to. I probably was trustworthy. And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed. And I also like, I was just a kind of a deep kid and introspective. I like to write poems. I loved to write. So I'm still very close with a lot of my high school friends. And some of them still have like, I would write and write and write long, mushy cards or like long letters. So I like to listen to people. I liked to write. So I was that person who like, you wanted to talk, like I'm all in and I would listen. And so that it stemmed from there. And I have three psychology degrees, you know, an undergrad, a master's and a doctorate. I just love it. I love understanding human behavior. I love understanding family dynamics. I love understanding systems and how they work. So it's really cool because even though I've been practicing over 20 years, there's never a dull moment. It's not like, oh yeah, I got this. Like every day is a new challenge and I learn and we learn in our field every day. We learn so much about, you know, like I've been really interested lately about loneliness. Mm -hmm. Which is very pertinent right now. During very, COVID. very, 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 very much. I never would have known. So before when I wrote Mommy Burnout and then, you know, there's a stage where you write the book, you submit it to your editor and then it's quiet actually for like a while. And so that was the moment where my agent came in and was like, okay, now it's time for you to do a TED talk. I was like, <laughs> no. I don't want to do a TED talk, but I did it. Yes. And I watched your TED talk. It's mm -hmm. phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Oh, thank you so much. So, you know, I, it was like, she just basically said to me, what's, what, what's one important message, right? You have eight minutes to talk. What's one important message from the book you'd want to share? And so when I really thought about it, it all continued to come back to connection. It just came back to it. Like no matter what, in the research, in the literature, and there's there's pretty awesome books written in the 1950s and 60s that you can reference back to just like feminism and mothers. And it's uh, to me like that's, I love history and it's so interesting. And it all came back to loneliness and connection. So that's why I did Why Moms Are Miserable. And we see it so, so right. much. And I was fascinated that it appears again and again through history, like how you mentioned Betty Friedan and the feminine mystique about this problem that can't be named. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's been like, oh, like I was just having the phone with my mom last night and my mom, like I've always tried to push her to get friends. Like she was the mom who stayed at home and devoted her whole life to us kids and still does not really have any friends outside of our immediate family. And she told me, she was saying that, all she did that day was watch my nephew and then cook my dad dinner. And I'm like, mom, like, what else did you do? And she's like, we're from a different generation, Joanne. And I'm like, no, no it's don't the accept, same. It's yeah, the don't same. accept that. Don't accept that dialogue, mom. Yeah. yeah. So let's get a little bit more into this loneliness. And what I see is like, you're describing it as the chronic stress that moms are feeling. Yes. So... What's helpful is to understand the true origin of this book, which is I have a private practice and it's called the Child and Family Therapy Center. So usually on session number one, it's usually a mom who would come in with their child. And so I would meet with them and talk to them. And I just kept hearing this familiar theme of what these women were saying to me. Like they would say, they would look at me and they'd be like, is this it? Like literally, I found my husband. I finally got married. You know, usually there's some infertility. You know, it took forever to get this kid. Oh my gosh. And now I either gave up my career and I'm pretty miserable or 
I've always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but I feel like is my purpose really every day to fold the load of wash and put the dishes away? And so there were themes that I kept hearing like, A, there actually was no difference in stress. This was at first just my observations. There didn't seem to be a difference whether you were a working mom or a stay-at-home mom. Their stress levels, their dissatisfaction in life seemed to be about the same. And they would say the same things, just a slight twist. Either I gave up my career or, oh my gosh, why am I even working? I'm running myself ragged, right? So no matter what, the stress level seemed about the same. And then the other thing was just a general, almost like dissatisfaction, like disillusionment. Like I was sold on the white picket fence with the husband and the two kids. And this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Like, I don't know that I can live a happy life this way. And so it was really interesting because, the, again, the reason why they were there was usually my kid has night terrors, my kid is wetting the bed, my kid has social anxiety, but we were getting really back to them. And at the end, they also would pretty much laugh and say, maybe it's me that needs therapy and not my kid. So that was another piece. So I started seeing a lot of women, a lot of moms, and I tried to keep in the lane of them in the role as parent. But inevitably, they wanted to talk about their careers and they wanted to talk about their marriages and they wanted to talk about these other areas that affect their parenting. So that's truly how it started. So one day I just had the thought of if my three o'clock knew how my four o'clock felt, the world would be a better place. Like it was that simple. It was a quiet thought as I was walking down the hall because I knew the next woman who I had was again, she was coming in by herself. This woman's leaving by herself. The next woman's coming in by herself. And I even thought like, my gosh, if I could get a support group and all these women would just like become friends, they wouldn't even need me. They wouldn't even need to go to therapy because what they need is a friend. In most cases, maybe with their kids, they could have used you know professional help. But a lot of the things they were saying, I was like, if you had a friend, if you had a friend, if you had a best friend... And it's funny because a lot of the women that I see don't really have those close, intimate friendships. And the ones who do, it's like, I totally know their best friend and their entire life. Like, I'll be like, so what did Tara say about it? Well, what does she think? You know, like, because they're, of course, I bring them in. So if they've got somebody important, I bring them in. So those are the two fundamental things that launched this idea of writing a book about the plight of modern day motherhood, which was the original title, which was quickly like, no, we're not going to name it that. But I was like, let's just call it modern day motherhood because I wanted to talk about what was happening. Yeah, it goes back to that social isolation and feeling like you're the only one feeling those things. Right, exactly. It really was. It was like, oh my gosh, you would feel so much better if you just knew that other women also felt this way. And you know, without being really personal, it's hard to convince somebody. If I say to you guys, oh, well, many women feel that way. Like you might feel a little bit like, really? But if I couldn't say to you, yes, Sarah Smith next door and Jane Doe on the other side of you literally are going through the same thing. It's hard to really believe it or take it in. Like, no, but their situations aren't as bad as mine or something like that. So what are some of the kind of symptoms of mommy burnout? How can moms tell if they're experiencing this? Yes. Well, it's so fun. In the first chapter of the book and in in the beginning of every chapter, there's basically a, does this sound familiar? Yes, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) And so these are some of the things that I highlighted that I thought were, so I want to say two things that I thought were unique to moms being burned out. But I also want people to know that I didn't use 
the term burnout just as a catchphrase. I actually literally looked up and then started studying the literature on burnout. And the literature on burnout is on employees, employees in their work settings and feeling dissatisfied and feeling like they weren't effective in their work setting. And it just naturally was like, yeah, that your work is your motherhood. And now all of a sudden, here you are feeling like you are physically and emotionally exhausted and you feel like you are not effective at your job. So that is truly how mommy burnout came to be. It's not just a catchphrase, although I think it's catchy, but it actually, I truly drew from the burnout research. Some of these signs and symptoms. So again, you hear a couple of them, you go, I have that, I have that. It's sort of like putting them together. A bunch of these together probably puts you with either chronic stress or burnout. So having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, lacking energy throughout the day, beating yourself up for parenting decisions, reaching for junk food, right? Or eating off your kid's plate as a meal, wondering if you're drinking too much, popping painkillers because you've got neck pain, back pain, some sort of pain, getting sick when your kids get sick, but staying sick for longer. That was also interesting to me how our immune systems are so broken down when we're stressed. You have little to no interest in sex. A big one was you dodge your friend's phone calls. And instead of calling people back, you just text them, right? Because in a text, I can hide. Yeah, you can hide. Emojis. It's just hide, right? Yeah. I don't give your true feelings at all. Right. Right. I could be crying in the bathroom and I could still send you a smiley face emoji with the sun and say, have a great weekend. Why? Why is that? Why do moms, do you feel, why do moms feel like they have to hide all these emotions? Because I felt this. I felt like I've needed to hide my emotions because that I'd be like the downer of the group. Exactly. You feel like you don't want to bring other people in or have to have them see how non-perfect yeah. you have things going on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that women do hide for a couple of reasons. One of them is perfectionism, right? We have gotten such strong messages around what it means to be the perfect mom. And nowadays to be the perfect mom means you're doing even more things than the generation before us. And even though the generation or two before us definitely had their own guilt and had their own isolation and all of that, we now are taxed with almost the burden of, well, we can do anything we want though. I could be the CEO of a company, right? I can can start my own business. (laughs) I can have it all. And so that is a lot of pressure. I think, you know, let's say back to your mom, Joanne, when she said, well, I'm of a different generation. She might've had the pressure to be the perfect housewife. And I know she she did. I know she did because she tells me about how she was not able to do any after-school activities at home that her mom wanted her to come home right away and do all the household chores. So, and all she said that she wanted in life was to have a family of her own. Yeah, right. I mean, of course, there's something very beautiful about that. There is, there is. There really is. I will say there's also the piece though, what has happened is one of the unintended consequences of all of those feminists marching and being loud and getting us the rights that we have and being able to educate ourselves and have these equal rights to men is that all of a sudden we didn't say, oh, I can do either or. How amazing is that? Do I want to raise a family? Or do I want to work? It became, oh no, you're going to just do both. Right. And you're going to be awesome at all of it. Yeah. And that's also an interesting factor too, because I I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. I feel like in society as women, if we choose to still work and have kids, we're expected to do both, just do both. And I know like when I was married, my ex-husband wasn't expected to do that. 
That, mm-hmm. Part of that was my own expectation, right? But also society-wise, they're not expected to be as involved in their family and have a career mm-hmm. as much as women are. It's like how dads are applauded for being good dads, but moms are criticized for everything they do. Right. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the unintended consequences for me on writing this book is how many dads they will come to my talks and they'll be like, what about us? And they're not like really joking. You know, they're just sort of like, what about us? And this is such a traditional way of looking at things. Or why aren't you writing about daddy burnout? And I was taken aback and I'll get people writing me. And it's so funny because my own husband says, why do they even care what you wrote in that book? It wasn't written for them. And I'm like, it's really funny. But you know, if you look even at my Amazon reviews, a lot of men have reviewed the book. It's very interesting to me. So here's what I think about my thoughts on that. I've you know had to formulate them over the last two years because they're so loud really about it. So what I would say is that, first of all, my experience of men is different. And the literature shows that men process stress differently. And so where we're at, I think, in 2020 right now is men are not necessarily expected to do it all, like be ultra super dad and a great provider, but they are certainly applauded for it. They're getting encouraged to do it and they are more involved. They look at their dads and they say, I am so much more involved in my kids than my dad was with me. Even if they're like, I loved my dad, but he worked, he came home at five o'clock, sat in a lazy boy and like we all just catered to him. And so they feel really, I think, proud of that. They feel really progressive around it. But you're right. I still think it's optional. Yes. And it's still applauded. We're it not is. applauded. We're, we're, we're moving we're, in we're the right direction, but we're just not. Well, it's like with my husband, spot. he's wonderful. And he always brings up the fact like he doesn't like being applauded for being a good dad because he's like, I'm their dad. Like, that's what I do. Right? Like, uh, like, yeah. when, but, like when, oh, it's so great that you watch the kids so that you yeah. go do something. And he's like, they're my kids. And it's I didn't the same though with like my female <laughs> right. friends. Like some of my female friends are like, man, Joanne, you're so lucky to have a husband that has an interest in the kids and watches the kids. And part of me is like, but... I also need to ask for my own time and I'm an equal part in this relationship. It's not a luck thing so much as I feel like when women say that, I feel like they're giving up some of their own control. Uh-huh. Yes. For that. We need, yes, we need to that, speak up. Yeah. And, as I hear you yeah. say that, I think, wouldn't that be a great advice to give to women in their early 20s when they're looking yes. for their life partner? Yes. That this is what you need. To look for, definitely. This is what you need to start. You need to start with open communication because if you don't start with it and then suddenly you expect it later on. Yeah, but even society too, it makes it hard because even my husband, as wonderful as he is, he doesn't see all of the things I have to do. And it was actually through reading your book when I reached out to you that I told my husband, listen, I need an hour when you come home from work. I've been juggling my work and the kids all day. I need that time. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, go take that time. And just having a second to myself to go watch Bravo and Million Dollar Listing really made all the difference. <laughs> it really does. I, I was so happy when you wrote that to me too. That like, I really love. So for anyone listening, I love to hear from people. I love to hear how they say, because usually they get something. Everyone gets something out of it. Like they needed to that permission to say, yeah, just ask for what you need. And amazing things happen, right? And I need that reminder all the time just in my work life. I got it pretty down with my my husband, but in my work life, like 
just ask, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, like I need that reminder. Yeah, you're right. But I love to hear what people get out of it. And the simple fact is, I used to say, like when I come home, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to wash my hands and get out of my clothes because I might be all like dressed up and that's, those aren't kid clothes. And all I needed was maybe 15, 20 minutes and then I'd be good. But I wasn't getting that for a while, right? And then I would just feel so like kids are tugging at me and I'm like trying to take my shirt off. And, you know, it was just a stressful entry. And so it's been great. A lot of people have given feedback about even if they have a commute, how they're using their commute differently to come down from the day. So some of it is about mindfulness without being like, oh, go meditate. It's just being mindful, being thoughtful. How do I enter into my family? How do, after the kids are down, how do I enter into my time with my spouse, right? Because most people are like, oh, oh my God, finally they're all down. Now I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. So that brings two thoughts that I really wanted to bring up. First of all, I loved how the book was structured, how every chapter had a different section of mommy burnout that you may be suffering from and the questions at the beginning and then the real practical tools that you could use to work through them, like all together right there. That was phenomenal. Which brings me to my second question and kind of something you're talking about with the commute. So in the current state of affairs right now, where not everybody is getting out often. What do you feel might be one of the major contributors to mommy burnout in the current structure that we're faced with so many people not getting to leave their family hardly at all? (laughs) Yes. This is week two of me being able to actually breathe for the first time in like six months because my kids are... One is in a pod and it travels and and two are, are in person at school. Oh, I don't take that for granted. I don't, I do not take that for granted. And I know it might not last. And honestly, this boost of this two weeks, I could do that. You know what I mean? Like it'll be okay. Like I know that it might not last and it'll be okay. But here's the biggest thing. If people aren't, you know, reading these things and up to date, this pandemic has hit women, working women, the absolute hardest, right? So we know that, you know, certain ethnic populations, Latino populations have been hit hardest with COVID disproportionately dying of it. We know we've seen the disadvantages and socioeconomic status in terms of COVID. We get it. But in terms of the economy and families, working moms, hands down, the hardest hit. We are the ones that are trying to figure it out. How do I do this? Well, they're back there and they're working here. And I will tell you that I always give this piece of advice and I always tell people, I promise that I walk my talk. I really do. So one of the things I always say is, I'll say to people, make sure that you're invested in your community, that you're a part of your community. And so many women have come back at me and said, I don't have a community I feel like I'm a part of. So then I say, well, then create a community. I promise if you create a community of working moms who are burned out on a Facebook group or whatever, in your like little city, you will get people who are like me, me, me. So one of the things that I did when is when I realized that one of my kids' schools would not be going back in person was I just said, you know, I was reading like everybody else about this notion of pandemic pod, right? Six weeks ago, we had no clue. I don't even know who made up that term, right? right. It was a made up term, I think. But it was like, you know what? I looked at my husband and I said, I think we have to do this. I am not going to put myself through working from my office and he's only seven years old. So of the three, he's the one that needs the most hands-on and I'm not going to do that. So it didn't exist. And I created it, you know, I'm saying in my little world, not a worldwide thing in my little world, 
I created a pandemic pod. And those other moms who've joined have been like, oh my God, thank you so much. Oh my God. We didn't know each other. It's not like it was, this wasn't a clicky thing. Yeah, it was interesting. What what was happening here was sort of like, oh, who's my kid good friends with? And oh, let's create, you know, this. It wasn't like that for us. For us, it was like, my husband actually is a recruiter. So I said, you recruit the teacher. And so, you know, there's a teacher. And I said, and at first also, if you can't afford a teacher, I was saying to people, the, the moms will switch up. Again, the moms. The moms, moms will switch off. Yeah, it's all right. Like moms. And mm-hmm. if I had to do a week, well, okay, well, at least I get three more weeks off because I have four people in this pod, right? So basically, we found the moms, and again, the moms, we found the parents, and we found the teacher. And it actually just came together as kids in a class who were looking for a pod. And so that's just an example of the term didn't even exist two months ago. And the notion never occurred to me, but I wasn't going to sit around and wait for somebody to come knock at my door and say, would you like to join? That's, it was like, no, this is too exactly, important. I got to create this. That's exactly what I'm yeah. thinking. I'm like, what I'm hearing you say is don't say there isn't a community. Yeah. Make it, Go find it. The They're community. there. We're all there. We're all desperately seeking somebody else mm-hmm. to be there as our confidant, as our friend, somebody else to speak with, uh, to understand what we're going through. And everybody is so thirsty for that. And I think though, as moms, since we are stuck in our isolation bubble, we don't realize that everybody else is looking for that. And I almost get into the trap sometimes of feeling guilty for needing the help. I've seen everybody do it on their own. And I'm like, I should be able to take care of my kids and run a business at the same time, which is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the more, the more we talk about how ridiculous that notion is, I think the better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the sections I have in the book is learn when to say yes and learn when to say no. And I think I started to hear this a lot as well in the business world. I have applied it to my life in terms of parenting, but also in terms of career, you know, to say like, I'm the biggest yes person you're ever going to meet, right? You sent me one message and was like, I love your book. Let me have my podcast. I'm like, yeah, sure. Which I right? am so I grateful for. Like, no. yes, oh my gosh, it actually worked. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the funniest thing. I always want to be that way. I love that about myself. That is a quality that at times can be draining, right? But that's a small percentage. For the most part, it's one of the things I actually like about myself, which is I am a yes person. I'm that girlfriend that you're like, I need to drive to California this weekend and I need to, you know, drive a buddy. And I'm like, great, where are we going? Like, <laughs> let's pack it up. Like, I like that. And I like it about myself. But, you know, again, are, there can be some pitfalls with that, right? At times, I can say yes too much. And it's like a new notion for me. And, and the pandemic has definitely tipped the scale for me on, okay, you actually really cannot say yes to everything. You have to maybe even start off with eliminating 5% of what. And I, you know, here's one of the ways that it can be helpful, which is last week I have a little team that helps me. And I said to them on a Zoom call, okay, you guys, hold me accountable. If I say yes one more time to an online parenting summit, tell me you're not going to help me. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, we're going to hold you to that. I was like, I need you to hold me to that. And so that's one of the ways you can also be accountable, put it out there to the world. Like, you know, you can tell my spouse or whatever, like if I say yes one more time to like being on a board at school or something like, like just tell me I won't support you then. 
so you're going to be on your own, you know, whatever it is. And like, that'll make me be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're right. Because in order for me to work extra or be on an extra board, if there's a systemic effect, it does mean that I have to say to my spouse, who's really quite the equal partner, but okay, actually I'm not going to be home Thursday night when you normally have me home. So you have dinner on your own. You know what I mean? And so it does have an impact. So I have to be thoughtful about where I work and play outside of my typical lane because it does have an effect. It has an effect on the kids. It can have an effect on my carpool. It can have an effect on my spouse. So learning how to say yes and no, so important. Yes, definitely. It reminds me of the story you had in your book about Carmen, who was doing all the things for all her kids all the time. And how she finally realized that it was driving her insane by the angry pizza, like waving the pizza (laughs) in the back of her daughter's video call. Like, but reading about her, that is really what I see a lot in moms. And I see it a lot in myself. We're like saying yes to all of our kids' activities too. We're like, oh, we want our kids to have the best of everything. So of course I'll drive like 30 minutes each way to the dance studio. We we feel like if we say no to something, they're going to miss out on some amazing experience or memory or whatever. We're going to be faulting them because we said no. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yes. And that's... I went through kind of like a crisis in this, like my daughter's dance studio closed and it was pretty close to our house. And the dance studio she wanted to go to was about like a 20 minute drive. And she's like, mom, it's only a 20 minute drive. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm going to be so resentful if I have to spend like two hours in the car driving you back and forth. You're Four not going there. Yeah, <laughs> You're not going there. We're going to go to the, the studio that's like two miles from our house. 
she got so mad at me. She wouldn't like talk about it for two weeks. Well, you know, okay. She I'm going to say she's a preteen. Yeah. She digs it. Yeah. She gets that, that last chapter. When talk to me about that particular instance, like not like she, she was still normal all the time, but anytime I brought up dance, it was like, no, I don't want to talk no. about it right now. But it's that kind of pressure that moms feel when they have to say no, especially, especially from your family. I think it's really hard when you get that from your child because you love them so much. Mm-hmm. We put so much into them. And then when they get so hurt or upset by us saying no, it almost feels like we second guess ourselves. Oh, did I make the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. Did I do the wrong thing? And when you're not having that open conversation or anybody else to talk to you about this, you feel like you're alone and like you're doing a terrible thing. And I can't tell anybody I'm making a terrible decision. You know, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. It's very hard. And I want to say like, a quick bullet point to two points that this makes me think about. One of them is as human beings, we were not created to have the best of everything. So this notion that I'm going to raise a strong, resilient, and gritty child by giving them every single possible thing that exists, those two things don't add up. So you have to choose consciously as a parent. All right. If you want to give your kid the best of everything, the best ballet studio, the best tutor, the best school, just expect that they won't have very much resiliency in life. Once they're out of under your roof and out in the real world, they are not prepared, right? And that is the knock against millennials and Gen Z. And so that's that. And then the second thing is that choices, I have a chapter on choices, choices cause us stress. So we do not need 50,000 choices. I was researching. I love researching. And I was researching for that. Like it was like, if you Google how many varieties of salad dressing are there, there's like over 200 or something, right? Yeah. And so initially, I don't know if it was initially, but there's an awesome, one of the most viewed TED Talks, it's like a top 10, is a, a psychologist. It's pretty old by now, but he is talking about choices. And it was the first time, this was kind of a while ago where I was like, what, what is this? Choices make us stressed. And then he goes through how choices literally stress us out. And then I was like, totally. I mean, mattress choices, stroller choices, school choices, all the things that we make for our kids. It's not simple anymore. Again, if going back to your mom's generation, there was no probably school choice. She moved into a suburban neighborhood, right? And you went to, yes. This elementary school, this was the middle school, this was the high school. End of story. Yeah. No conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, yeah. I'm just so excited to say that because out here yeah, in Arizona, woo, we had school choice. And I think it, I tell you, it's sad it all drives time. It drives crazy. all of us nuts. Yeah. Yes. Totally. And I am one of those nuts parents, which I totally wrote in the book about, about school choice has stressed me out every single year. I'm like, well, is this the best school? Oh, wait, hold on. You're doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so, so, so me right now. Yeah. It's the like, best is thing. It the yeah. best. Yeah. Is it the best? And are there better choices? So the two things go hand in hand. And what I'll just say about that is that I am just like everybody else. I can start to slip into that world. The only difference with me is that I remember my talk. So I do the walk and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on. No, if I switch schools again, then I'm going to be more stressed out and I'm going to be starting over. You know, I can talk myself off the ledge. Whereas if I didn't have all of this knowledge, I probably would be going down those different rabbit holes and totally stressing myself out. Definitely. Now, I I think I remember the psychologist, was it Jonah Lehrer, the How We Decide? Because I've read that book too about serial choice. It was like serial choices in the aisle and like 
Oh, this one was, um, I think Barry Schwartz. Barry Schwartz. I'll have to look at that yes. too. I love, yes. I love learning about Just all watch that. the TED talk. Cause he okay. is hysterical. <laughs> this was like in the beginning days of TED talks. He's without exaggeration. He, I think he actually talks or has a post about, he didn't actually understand what he was really doing. Cause he was a professor. So he's wearing, I'm not kidding you. Like a t-shirt, shorts. I mean, he looks like he's going fishing or something, right? <laughs> and he's just walking on the stage and he's just talking. Who would have ever known he'd have like, I don't even know how many views at this point, but it is a top 10 TED talk because it's so good. He just like went out there and professed. And That's then got amazing. Off the stage. <laughs> and I know that TED talks are no easy thing. I had a friend who did one last year and she said like, you have to memorize your entire thing word for word, right? Yes. 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 You it's do. An and I, it was do. so stressful for me. It's not my thing. Like I wouldn't do it again. I'd way rather either you say, okay, go up on a stage. I don't care about the people or anything like that. It's like, I cannot memorize things because then I can't be as genuine. Yes. You know, yes. and it was really hard for me. It really, really was. And my daughter was in the audience, but you know what? It was so great. So who was in the audience, right? Three of my best friends, two of their moms and my daughter. Like how amazing was that? And so my daughter, it was really cute. They brought her on stage right after my talk. She was like standing there. She was nine. (laughs) But, you know, it was great for her to see me not be perfect because I wasn't, but deliver still the message and get through something that totally kicked my butt. I'm guessing that she probably knew how nervous you were going into it and how much you struggled through it. And yet you still got up there on the stage and went through with it. Totally. And I joke about it till this day. I try to bring light to it to this day which is just like, oh, everybody knows I'm never doing a TED Talk again. I'll talk anywhere. I'll, I'll do Q&A, but I do not want to memorize an eight-minute speech and be authentic and work the stage and watch my hands. Like, that's all. That's hard. That's asking a lot. Yeah. And that brings the point though of how moms are examples really to their kids, both good and bad. You mentioned it a little in the book about how like a mom's tendencies can rub off Mm -hmm. on their children, but it's also in a good way. Like if they see mom pushing themselves and mom going for those things that scares her, I think that kids are more likely to see themselves in that role too. Absolutely. The way I decided to end the book, Mommy Burnout, was to say essentially like, are my kids burned out too, right? I wanted it to be a thought-provoking way to end a nonfiction book, which was essentially, what is the legacy you want to leave and are you living it? And I know that when I get any version of that question, it still makes me pause, you know? And so like a good example for this, for people who are listening and they think like a legacy and, you know, this stuff seems so big. This is a real example of how it lives in my life at present. On March 13th, when essentially the world shut down, I literally said to myself, this is not going to be a trauma in my kid's life. I am going to make the best of this. I don't even know if I'm going to have a job. I don't even know, right? I had a private practice and yes, I had done telehealth, but never to the scale at which now most mental health clinicians do, right? I didn't know. I didn't know if Monday morning I'd get 15 cancellations. I didn't know. Nobody knew. My husband, he recruits for jobs. He did go from 100 to zero. I mean, he was at zero for like, I don't even know, six weeks or something, like no job. So I was like, okay, what's going to happen, right? So, But I was determined that the legacy of this pandemic, which I didn't know, was this going to be a month? Was this, nobody knew, right? 
I just knew for some reason I was very bound and determined to be positive, to make it fun. We were just like everybody else, baked away. I made the best dinners every night. I mean, the kids every night were like, this is like the best thing that's ever happened to us. (laughs) And I just was like, we're all safe right now. It was so great. I put it on my Instagram, actually. I went Target shopping. It might've been the morning of March 13th. It's, I don't know, the timestamp. But I had a receipt so long because I bought so much stuff that the Target person held on to one end and I held on to another and I took a picture of it. The, The receipt was like six feet long. It was insane. And I just was like, I felt like we were going to war or something. And I was like, I am the general of my family. And I knew that I set the tone. Like, I didn't know what my husband's mood, temperament was going to be like, his stress level, right? I mean, he does carry the family financially in that way. So I was like, I don't know, but I feel like I'm the leader. And so essentially, we were stocked. We did not hoard because that by then you couldn't even hoard, but I didn't hoard. Everything was like, yeah. <laughs> right. We stocked up on, you know, and so this is just a good example of when, my, so my kids have been asked a lot since they're going back to school and they went to the dentist, stuff like that. Oh, how has it been for you? All of them will tell you that it's been great. Everything's been great. We've been, we've been eating great. We kept a small group of people who we felt comfortable with in the neighborhood. So they got to interact with their friends, but that was intentional. It was like, okay, who's traveling? Who's not? Who's taking this seriously? Okay, those are the families we're going to socialize with. And so I will tell you that every aspect of how it's gone down has been well thought out. It hasn't always been pretty. Of course, there's been low days. It's not all been, you know, fantasy island. But what I'm saying is I really want, I knew this was a historical moment and I wanted the legacy of the moment to be, my mom knocked it out of the park. We felt awesome. I, you know, we were great. I, that's what I wanted and that's what I created. That's amazing that you were able to create that for your kids. I have to say, I had a, a very different experience where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And it was more of a day-by-day thing for me. But still every day you woke up with that thought process of what do I want to do with this? What do I want to do? I knew like there was a routine. My daughter and I started working out to bar workouts online and just had those little like touch points during the day. But it was a scary thing as a parent to me personally. And I wish I could be have been more intentional. And I think going through this experience, not only did it teach my kids resiliency, but it also taught me a lot more resiliency as well with not being able to plan for things as right. well. Oh yeah, that's been the hardest part. Like, yeah, yeah I just trying to pivot. That's my, that's my word of 2020. Pivot! Okay. Pivot. Mine, mine is plan B. Oh, plan, B. Go, right? yeah. plan B. Yeah, we are just, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, millions of parents felt exactly like what you just said. If, this is all I do though, right? So I had, the other thing I will tell you what motivated me was I knew that, I was going to keep working and I actually gained clients. I mean, I didn't lose any clients at all. If anything, they were like every week I want to meet, you know? And so what happened was I knew I had a huge responsibility to my professional side too. I need to keep up with my own mental health or I cannot do this job. I will be an imposter. I cannot be completely losing it at home, but then giving advice. And the other thing a part of my job is so I treat my patients, but I also do media segments. Well, in that first month, I think I did 33 media segments. So I was a face, honestly, definitely in my state, but also nationally and in print and the New York Times and other places on what to do. What is pandemic parenting? And it was like, 
I better be really taking care of myself because I am not going to be a phony and, you know, going through having anxiety or depression or not staying connected, but telling other people to do that. So that's part of literally to me, the spin on that is that's the advantage of what I do. It makes me, it forces me to really be on the forefront of mental health. You have to pick it up and walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah. For moms right now who are feeling stressed and who are feeling so burnt out, what do you think is the best first step for them to take to get out of that burnout? That's a really good question. I think that one of the things probably is, this is a new thing I've been trying. This is not necessarily in the book. I mean, there's mindfulness and stuff in the book, but truly I'd say right now I've been practicing five minutes of quiet. That's what I call it. Just five minutes of quiet. It's not necessarily the mentality of a true meditation where I'm trying to clear my mind. I'm actually, I don't know if there's a name for this. I'm just calling it five minutes of quiet, but I'm actually wanting to see what pops up. So like when we get off, I might just, I could turn off the lights, turn off my screen. I just sit right here in my office. I just close my eyes for five minutes. I set a timer and I just see what pops up. Sometimes I keep a pad next to me. And if it's like, truly something I have to get, like go get laundry detergent. I'll just write it down. Right? I'm not trying to quiet my mind. I'm trying to create quiet so I can even see what the hell am I even thinking? Like what is on my mind? Very good because point. If I'm, yeah. Right? If I'm chugging and I'm chugging along throughout the day, which is part of how I function, there isn't any quiet in the car, right? I have either CNN or I have music on, right? Which I love singing along to music. But in the context of being in a chronic stress moment in our lives that doesn't have an end in sight, I need to create quiet moments. And by doing it, I've been doing it. I've just been doing it for like, I don't know, two or three weeks. And by doing it, I have felt so much. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I actually always have a constant nagging feeling like I surely forgot something. I'm sure I forgot something or I'm running late to something, or I probably have the wrong start time. Like I'm always questioning because I'm moving so fast. I question myself a lot, like, did I get everything that I'm supposed to, you know? So that's a place, honestly, to start that's easy to do, gets you in touch with your own feelings and, you know, see what comes out on that paper. Maybe it is like pick up toilet paper, but it's also, you know, write a letter to somebody or make sure I call my mom this weekend or whatever it is. And you just, there's this output and it's kind of like, nice, like, okay, I think I'm good with myself. I knew what was on my mind. It's And then it's naturally cleared out as opposed to like what I meditate. It's really hard work for me to be like, don't think about that itch. Quiet your mind, you know? So that's one of the things I would say. And then the other one is truly my mantra is, you know, socially distanced, emotionally connected. You just have to stay emotionally connected. I I just know last weekend I invested, and it's an investment. I probably invested three hours of my weekend talking to friends who I hadn't talked to, whether it was a week or even longer. And oh my gosh, I had so much energy. I had a pep in my step and and not everything we talked about was super fun, but I just felt connected and I know that I need that. So invest that time to FaceTime or just talk on the phone. Yeah. The power of being connected like that is amazing. Like we do happy hours with our group of friends. Brie always starts them. She's like, who needs a happy hour? And it's usually you were telling me yesterday. (laughs) Well, yeah. So we, we have like a group of like eight of us that have children that we, we originally met like our kids being in school together, but over the years, we've all kind of dispersed. Some of us have moved. Some of us have kids at different places, but I was telling Joanne that, yeah, like I'll keep an eye on things either on Facebook or text. And if I start to see somebody 
seem to get stressed or I'll be like, Hey, who wants a happy hour? And I'll just wait and see. And then normally that person will pop in yeah, and I'll be like, I can't. And I'm like, great. When you guys want to like, and we just get on zoom and then now, now we play with the filters. Oh yeah. We zoom. play with all the filters on zoom and make ourselves like our own, like rock band. Rock band yeah. was the last one we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys hair. have to teach me that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> and, and like, we'll, we'll chat. Like sometimes it gets serious for a little while. Then it gets kind of silly again. Well, like yeah. tell us something good that happened this week, whatever. And we just kind of get that chance to bond like we used to mm-hmm. in person, but, yeah. But on Zoom or oh, on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Yes. Facebook Messenger has all yes. the filters that you could really. Oh, have. I was like, mm-hmm. I need to know about this. And oh, there's yes, games like you could do like a burger game. Like you start a game and then like burgers start flying at your face and you try to like yeah fight that. It's that's fun. lovely. It's you're so talking and all of a sudden you're like, why are things flying at my face? <laughs> but anyways, that's it's. So yeah. Yeah. It's a fun way for us to reconnect. And we try it. We don't get it regularly. I mean, it'd be great if our schedules were great enough that we could say like every Thursday we yeah. do it. But instead, we just kind of keep an eye out for each other. And when we see that somebody is needing it, or maybe like something to celebrate, I'll be like, I want to celebrate and talk about something awesome. Who wants to hang out with me? Mm-hmm. And there's no pressure of whether or not the whole group can make it or only two people can. It's just mm-hmm. like, we'll just mm-hmm. hang. That's and good. it really helps. I don't know. It makes me feel re-energized. I'm very very outgoing kind extroverted, of yes very extroverted like this yeah. out this pandemic like i've Oof. seen those memes where it's like the extrovert is like clawing at the walls during this whole pandemic thing and then the introverts are kind of like this is nice we're like reading in the corner starbucks just chatting with the barista at the, at the window oh yeah okay so how was your day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i consider myself an ambivert so if you haven't heard that term, right? 50, That's 50. what I consider myself too. Mm-hmm. You are too. I really truly am. So yeah, it's at moments it's been nice, but no, for, like it's Labor, you know, it's Labor Day weekend. And I'm like, wow, this is really, I mean, we have no plans. We'll go to the pool, but no, you know, you can't even socialize that much at the pool. And it's like, yes, it's so, it's, it's hard. It really is. It's hard, but I love it. I've loved our conversation. I hope this has been Yes. yes. To end it, what is one thing that you are really excited about that you're working on right now? Oh, oh, there's so many things. I Well, I will say that I've tried to pivot this pandemic and really think about different things. So one of the things I'm excited about is there's been an in-person class that I have been teaching to mothers and daughters, and it's about puberty. And so it's like for a 10 to 13-year-old, it's awesome. It's really awesome. And I always taught it in person. And so it's the social, emotional, and physical changes that happen during puberty and in middle school and how parents can support them and just understand like what the heck's going on. So it's the sweetest thing I do. And it's in person. I've been doing it since 2013. And then when the pandemic hit, I had to cancel it. And I was like, you know, there's been a couple of people nudging me in my ear like I should do an online class. So I made it into an online class. So that's that one is- of the things. Really you needed. Yes. Can we share that information? I, yes, please. Yes, please. we will share that. Start with the talk. Start with the talk.com. Okay. Start with the talk. And yeah. it's cool because it's available anytime. And I did it in, so it's not like a live webinar. For some reason, I get asked that a lot. Is this a live webinar? 
but I'm trying to like create even like a private Facebook group around it. So like I could gather and create community around other people who are raising 12 and 13 year old girls. Cause it's, yeah, it's right? hard. It's hard. You think that you're the only one that's having issues. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, it happens to me every day. Like our daughters are the same age, almost mm-hmm. very, very like just a couple months apart. And I will constantly come in and tell Joanne, like this happened today. Yes. Is that normal? Yeah. Well, that is exciting. <laughs> yes. We will definitely yes. share that. Yes. And we've so appreciated Wonderful. talking to you. Thank you. I've loved talking to you guys. It was like hanging out with girlfriends. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's been great. Well, have a great day. Awesome. Thank you guys. You too. Thanks. Bye bye. I love talking to Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. Wow. Just wow. I'm she, still, I'm still starstruck. We, we had a bit of a longer conversation with her. She was our longest guest conversation to date because we just did not want to get off. Right. No, no. I just kept sitting there just nodding my head. Yes. 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 Because 100%. that, that major cause of mommy burnout that she said is this lack of connection that moms have with other moms. Oh my gosh. And we see it all the time. All the time. We see friends who purposely don't share very much about the problems in their lives. Because I I feel like I've gotten into this as well. You don't want to be a burden on other people. Mm -hmm. But really, that just prevents you from being connected to other people. Right. And feeling alone and burnt out. And And you're the only one suffering through it. Like You may know that you have other people that are having similar issues, but you don't think they get what you're going through. Mm -hmm. But the golden nugget in that is that they don't have to. They just have to be there. They just have to be there. They and don't have to fix. They don't have to do anything. They just have to be there, which I, I have to admit, before I started diving into this work of like relationships and like conflict resolution and friendships, I thought I always had to fix my friend's problems. So I would get very scared if someone came to me crying and I'd be like, I don't know what to say. <sighs> right. Yeah. Right. But then again, coming back it, and I, I get that. I've got that thicker, that thicker, <laughs> fixer mindset thicker as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm a thicker person. No, I have that fixer mindset too, that when somebody is struggling with something, I want to be able to help them. But the good news is that sometimes just being there is all it is. Mm-hmm. Or golly jeepers, sometimes it's just being able to say like, hey, I'll take your kid to school today because we live like a few blocks away. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just those little things that we can reach out and that connection helps us out so much because we live in a society now where we are disconnected. We're very, we don't have our families around us like we used to. Very few people are growing up in the same cities where they went to school at and they have long-term friendships or things change in life and you end up losing those connections. I have to say, like, I am so grateful for my group of mom friends. I am so grateful for my group of mom friends as well. I know. We have a similar group of mom friends. Our, we do our, have the same group of mom friends. The same group. And like you guys have, have supported me through so many things that I would have never made it through without you. And sometimes just even just last week, we had a, a fun little Zoom happy hour where yes. we all got together. We were playing with Facebook. Wait, oh my gosh. Um, we should post. We should post the pictures we took of ourselves <laughs> during this because we made it. First, we formed a rock band. Filters. With our, like, That's what it was. Our cool like colored hair filters. We were it was a, rock a punk band. rock band. It was a punk rock band. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a punk rocker, so I love the punk band. So there you go. But it's specifically on Facebook Messenger. If you like do a video chat, you can right. put on all the filters. You can play games. Yes. Yep. So somebody's talking about something and someone else turns on a game and a we're burger all laughing. Game. They have burgers <laughs> flowing at their face. They're opening while they're trying to like... It's but hilarious. It's nice. It's nice. Like we have that connection. We're able to completely just unplug from all of our stressors for a mm-hmm. little while. And then also at the same 
same time, see that we still have a lot in common, even though we hardly get to see each other due to the current state of events. Yeah. And I feel like when we're all on the phone together and talking, like I can let my filter down. I don't like not face filter, but my filter where I don't want to offend people because I'm so comfortable with our group of women that I know I'm not going to offend them. Right by my strong viewpoints right, <laughs> and that they get me and they understand me. And I think that's so valuable for people to have. And not everybody can say that they have that. But if you're listening right now and you don't have that, go back to Dr. Cheryl's conversation. You can create that. I mean, she specifically says, if you're burnt out, go to Facebook and create a Facebook group of burnt out moms of Chandler. They're there. They're, They're there. there. Every like they're there and they're they're just waiting for someone to start the connection. Okay, funny story about that. It makes me think of the uh, Goodman Group. Yes, right. Like I told you, like there was a community that I made one day just because I wanted to tell people about a shoe sale. (laughs) Because my kid went to a running club, which is our form of cross country, and I was like, oh, I want everybody to know there's a shoe sale. So I started a group just so I could tell a few, and I, I think I added like three people. And now that group is like huge. Like 400, 500. Yeah. Yeah. And like all the things, all the connections that are made in that group, just like I just, I smile and I see so many great things from the community. Yeah. People asking, anybody else's uh, kid has this teacher and they can talk and connect and it's just amazing. So yeah, it happens. It can happen. It can happen and it it can can grow. And I know one other concern that people have when they reach out to friends is that they're really disappointed that no one does so in return. And I felt that way too. I know when I was going through postpartum and I went to therapy, uh, my therapist at the time says something very influential. And she's like, the person who needs it needs to go and create the action. If you need the interaction and you need people around you, you need to go and create it. Don't wait for someone to come to you. You go make it happen. Right. And right. I've, I've held that close to me since then. And it's made all the difference. It does make a difference because mm-hmm. you have that ability. I mean, that's one of the joys of being a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to do a time and you a place and say, people be there and right? you'll be surprised at who comes. Exactly. Yes. So it was phenomenal. One of the best. I loved it. It was so great getting to talk to her. And you know what else I was really excited about? Hmm. Her class. Her class. I, think I know. It's, I think it was called a Start With The Talk. And it's for, I think it was specifically for moms yes, of preteens. Of preteens. And talking to them about not only their relationship, but the life changes that are going to happen mm-hmm. and that impact that relationship. And then just like in general, just all the changes that are going to happen. I was like, oh my goodness, I need that. And I was so excited when she said, it's online. It's online. So I am definitely signing up for that with one of my little ones. And we will have a link in the show notes for that because I think that'll benefit so, so many people. Yeah. Yes. So that was Dr. Cheryl Ziegler. Please check out her book, Mommy Burnout. I think you will love it as much as we loved it. And uh, until next time, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you and we'll see you next time. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts.